Cool. Well, I do I do intros now, little John, so people will know who you are. Uh, last time I had you on, it was a super popular episode. Um, you just kind of talked about your way of life, and I think it resonated with a lot of people. And uh, I was in the woods and uh, found some uh, pheasant of the woods or whatever they call it, and uh, it was just kind of like... Uh, um, it was just kind of like, man, I don't know how to do this. So I hit you up, and thankfully you answered, because I don't know how to mm-hmm. harvest it. And then I was like, hey, man, let's let's do a podcast about forging season, because I think it's it's pretty much forging season starting everywhere, even for cold places like where you live. Well, it's always foraging season for me, man. I mean, I don't care if it's winter or summer or spring or fall. I mean, I'm always... Here now. You're always okay, out foraging? Me- Is that what you were saying? Yeah, yeah. Let me get inside by the Wi-Fi and make sure uh, I'm all good here. But um, yeah, I mean, you know, whether I'm finding stuff in the woods or whether I'm, you know, even in the city. I mean, vacant lots or dumpster diving. You know, I mean, that's I, I would call you know even call dumpster diving a, a type of urban foraging. Yeah, that's interesting. So when you go dumpster diving, what do you dumpster dive for? Is it just just uh, stuff, or I mean, do you even go as far as food, like at uh, grocery stores? Oh, totally, totally. There's a produce uh, warehouse that I'm familiar with, and they have a dumpster. Uh, it's emptied once a week, and I try to peek in there every now and then. Uh, the last thing I dumpstered over was three cases of bananas. Um, they threw them away because they had freckles on them. That's it. So. Yeah, yeah, they need to be selling selling green bananas to the uh, to the grocery stores. So yeah, this produce warehouse, uh, you know, sometimes there's stuff that's pretty nasty, but for the most part, you know, it's like oh, a case of tomatoes, and there's one bad one in there. I'll toss that one out, and you know, take the rest of them or whatever. You know, I mean, it initially was great when I had rabbits and chickens, because then I'd give them all kinds of goodies and stuff, but. Um, since I travel so much, I uh, and I'm single again. I've decided not to, uh, you know, uh, have any livestock. So yeah. Well, so what's uh yeah? So what? When did you kind of? So I think like when did you start this forging lifestyle? Because I don't think we even covered that. Mm. I think we just kind of yeah. talked about like how you you started getting into it. Like you worked in a factory and all that last time. But like what? Yeah. Made- well, I mean. I guess initially I got into foraging when, uh, so I moved out of the house at like 18 and moved in with three or four other guys into kind of like a, an animal house scenario, you know, pizza and beer and, uh, you know, partying all the time. And, and, uh, you know, I was, I was, uh, looking at my grocery bill and, and thinking, you know, man, there's free food around me. All I have to do is educate myself, you know, and I, uh, a neighbor of mine um, was into hunting morel mushrooms, uh, so you know we walked around out in the woods and we did that. Uh, he wasn't really uh, a teacher that would say, "All right, here's you know here's the here's what it looks like, and this is the environment." It was pretty much, "Get out of the car. We know we'll find him in here. All right, he, you know you go that way, I go this way, and I'll meet you at the car in a half an hour." <laughs> it's kind of <laughs> like he wasn't. It was almost a competition, you know. Yeah. Uh, but once I was there, I mean, I'm a pretty fast learner, you know, and he just kind of dropped me in the right environment. And, uh, yeah, we, you know, we, we met back at the car, and, of course, he had quite a bit more than I did. But, 
but it was fun. And, and from then on, you know, I just kept, uh, you know, learning about foraging and plants and uh, edible and medicinal plants and, you know, and utilitarian plants. And, uh, of course, I was working in a factory. And then, um, you know, then I, when in my late 20s, I, uh, my learning curve really increased when um, I met a woman who was an herbalist. And, of course, we were both plant people. And so that just... It was a really good catalyst for us both to learn about a lot of different plants and things. So, um, yeah, and so from then on, I mean, you know, I mean, I've always been, you know, I mean, even as a child, I was a kid who would, you know, go down to the lake. I mean, I live in Sheboygan, Wisconsin, which is on the shore of Lake Michigan. So go down there and, you know, I mean, build a fort and, yeah, collect sticks and rocks and whatever. And so, I mean, I was always kind of doing my own thing and, and, you know, with, you know, I guess nature, you know, as whatever I could. And, um, yeah, it, it's just kind of grown more and more. And when they, they closed the, the doors to the factory in 07, um, you know, I was like, well, yeah, I'd like it if I didn't have to work for the man anymore. And I um, started making brooms. So let's see if this broom thing can, can really go. And, uh, yeah, and I started being hired as a historic demonstrator at at some big fairs, uh, Los Angeles County Fair, and uh, currently I'm I'm at uh, the Erie County Fair in Buffalo, New York, and the Oklahoma State Fair, and then a couple other small ones. So when you uh, go, so like when you go to these areas where where it's a completely different um, climate than where you're at, how do you what do you go about figuring out what to forage there? Do you just use Google? Um, yeah. the, so what, what's your biggest strategy? So like, let's say I'm going on vacation to, you know, Orlando, Florida, and I want to figure mm-hmm. out how to, what, what's good to forage there and everything else like that. Right. Well, first there's, I mean, I'll just get out and start checking out the environment, you know, and, uh, there's a lot of plants that I'm familiar with, even in other parts of the country, or if there's a plant that looks like, it's part of a plant family, you know, that'll give me a clue. And then, you know, I can look through ID books or online or, uh, I mean, I can, what's really nice is there's, there are groups on Facebook, of course, plant ID group and the mushroom ID group and things like that. And you can just bop a picture on there and pretty quickly you get an answer. Um, I don't, you know, that's kind of like my last resort, but I am, you know, polling a group of people who usually have knowledge. Of course, there's always, you know, noobs in there that will come off with some answer that is not even relevant um, or, you know, totally out of left field. I'm sure you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, they're just trying to be helpful, though. But, yeah, it's, it is. Or funny, you know, yeah, crack you, a joke or whatever. And it's just like I'm not looking for jokes. I'm just looking for what this is, you know. Yeah. But that's a tangent uh, for another another day. Well, you you and Greg Burns were kind enough to do that for me because I was like I'll usually ask one of you two, like before mm-hmm. I hit the group, I'll be like, what do you guys think this is? And you guys are like, we don't. We don't know. And then you guys just made these funny comments. I forget what you guys said. Just some crazy yeah. stuff. But that's right. I mean, that's always funny if it's your friend. But if it's a stranger, it's just kind of annoying. I think that's, yeah. that's the difference. Yeah. Yeah. And in a public forum and stuff when we're, you know, we're trying to, you know, come to a conclusion. It's It could be a little challenging. But especially if you're out there and you're kind of like still roaming around in the woods and you're like, boy, it really 
be good to know if I should take a loop back and pick some of that or well, not. Well, just like, you know? I mean, just like yesterday, like I, there was luckily, uh, or two days ago when I found that, uh, pheasant back, like I was luckily in that, uh, mushroom group that you were hitting on. And usually I can hit up my buddy, Joel, who's local, like he knows a lot and I couldn't get a hold of him mm-hmm. cause he was actually out harvesting ramps. And then, uh-huh. uh, and then, so I went in the ID and they told me, and then I was like, okay, well, how do I do this? And I called you. You're like, well, you want to take your knife? And I'm like, well, I don't have a knife. <laughs> uh-huh. And it was just like, now I'm like, oh, man, I got to carry a knife with me whenever I go on these walks now. Like, it was like a yeah. lesson, lesson learned scenario because that uh, pheasant back wasn't as pretty as it could have been after I harvested it. <laughs> yeah, you got a little beat up when you were trying to tear it off. And stuff. <laughs> yeah, or even just touching it, it started falling apart. And I was like, mm. well, I'm a little bit, I'm a little bit, I was probably a little bit rough with it, but I was trying to like get towards the back. And, uh, but then immediately you're like, yeah, I heard if you pickle those, they're delicious. And mm-hmm. it's like, you well, just, uh, yeah, I did pickle them actually. Um, I, I, there's a, a book that came out like last November, I think it was uh, by Pascal Botter. Um, the new wild cuisine, I believe it's called. And I, I got a copy of it and it's, it's pretty fabulous. And there's a lot of great recipes that have kind of kicked my wild food cooking up a notch or two. And uh, the pickled mushroom recipe in there works great for pheasant packs. Yeah, I might have to do that because I don't. I think it might be a little too mangled to try to sell. Chefs are usually snobs about their forged yeah. foods that they want. They want it to look pretty, and that definitely doesn't look pretty. I'll definitely right. check that book out. But so, what is your favorite area to forage? Like what? It, because I've seen you in, in pictures on Facebook. You're in a boat getting seaweed. Um, <laughs> I've seen you like I know last time you talked about uh uh cactus fruit that nobody takes advantage of uh mm-hmm. you're I mean obviously cordelian cherries I think you were excited didn't the city just start in uh planting a bunch of cordelian uh uh cherry trees yeah street trees yeah Cedarburg Wisconsin just I noticed they planted some that's that's pretty exciting um but uh you know, my favorite place to forage is wherever I'm at, you yeah. know? I mean, seriously, because, like, you know, I go to Oklahoma. I'm at the Oklahoma State Fair, and I'm thinking to myself, well, okay, I mean, this was last year, last October, or uh, end of September, and I'm, like, thinking, well, what do I think of when I'm in, in Oklahoma? You know, I mean, I've never really been through there. I've driven through the state, you know, and I'm imagining sagebrush, and you know stuff like that and um and all of a sudden uh you know i'm wandering down these side streets and well there's acorns all over the place a lot of little small southern acorns but you know hey those those are fair game and then there there's uh i mean vitex vitex is a, a lot of times it's planted as an ornamental but it has medicinal properties you know and so there's there's just so many different things for me to harvest. I did uh, harvest. I, I drove um, a little farther west, and I, I collected some sagebrush and, and um, tied up some um, smudge sticks for, for smudging and stuff like that. So, I mean, I... I connect with all kinds of plants, you know. Yeah, so if... So let's... let's this is... Here's a good idea here. If... Let's say for beginning foragers like myself, what do you recommend like the what are what is necessary to get like i already have a a dehydrator which i got for beef jerky but i know like you can take turkey tail mushrooms 
and I guess turkey tails have a lot of medicinal properties as well. Mm-hmm. Um, like what are what are what would you say like the the necessary equipment is for 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 uh, you know long storing these these ideas or I mean just where would somebody want to like how would somebody want to get started? I think that's the biggest thing. Well, I mean, food preservation in general is a really important skill, you know. And, um, I mean, whether you're a full-on prepper or some hippie, you know, whatever, you know, hiker or whatever, you know, I mean, it's, it's really important to be able to put up and store food. And it's kind of a skill that I'm, I I guess I'm surprised that so many people, like they come over to my house and they go, wow, you, you do a lot of canning. I'm like, yeah, doesn't everybody, you know, (laughs) like, yeah, like I, you know, I mean, I, I've got a whole pantry you know, that's, uh, I mean, it's probably what, six by 12 and it's got shelves on either side and it's just stacked full of jars that stuff I've canned over the, over the years. And of course, once you can something, then that, that's the thing is I put energy into it once and it's shelf stable for like a decade or more. Yeah. And there's, right? there, I mean, there's a lot of additional, um, nutritional benefits to fermented foods as well. And I th- yeah, I mean, if you ferment it, but uh, but canning, oh, canning and fermenting, canning yeah. will canning will kill any probiotic, you know, uh, bacteria because it's it's you know sealing the jar. Uh, I do ferment stuff too. Of course, kraut is super easy to make, but I mean, over time that'll get slimy and and go funky. But um, you can freeze it. The thing is, I don't like using the freezer as much. Uh, more and more, I keep getting away from using the freezer. It was a couple years ago. I had a um, I got a chest freezer in the basement, and something happened. Something fell behind it and hit the plug, knocked the plug out. It sat for like a week. And ruined and, everything. Uh, yeah, open it up, and everything's mush. And oh, like, oh, man. Crap. I mean, the good thing was, of course, people always on Craigslist put ads on there. You know, if you have any freezer burn meat, my dog would love it. You know, stuff like that. So, I mean, I just put a, you know, did a little search. Sure enough, someone nearby... And I called or uh, messaged them, and she came by and took like a laundry basket full of, full of meat away from me, you know. And any any fruit or veggies I had frozen got composted, but um, you know, I, that was a, a a big learning experience for me. Even though I mean it's it's happened once or twice in my lifetime. I mean I'm I'm 42 years old, and so I thought I want to do more canning. This last winter, and I, I consider myself an opportunist, right? Yeah. If there's opportunities, I try to jump on them. So this last, actually, it started in fall. Um, I saw an ad on Craigslist, free chickens. Um, I'm calling my birds. Um, I, you know, there's, you know, we're going into winter, and a bunch of them aren't laying. Blah blah blah. Uh, also, they're fed organic feed. I'm like, whoa, this is cool. So, so people just gave away their birds for free to you to butcher? Well, that was the first person. Once word got out around here that I'm butchering call birds, I had I got, you know, like 20 from one person, 10 from another, 15 here. By the end, uh, by just finally I think the last time I butchered chickens was maybe about 2 months ago, and I butchered a total of 52 chickens. And do you so when you butcher them like you've I think you've seen the video of the way you know we do it with uh, Greg's setup. I mean, are do you skin them to for quickness, or are you plucking all the no, feathers? I'm plucking all the feathers. Yeah, yeah I was I gonna mean, say I, that's a move. I don't see you wasting the skin because the skin's right. delicious. 
Well, yeah, and so, but what I what I really did was, um, you know, I'd, I'd have uh, someone come over. I do a lot of work trades, uh, where you know, hey, come on over, help me butcher these ten chickens. You take a couple of them home. Yeah, you that's know? a good trade. Oh, that, yeah, it's like, oh, great! I don't know how to butcher chickens. This is awesome. So you get a little assembly line going, chopping heads, bleeding them out in cones, and then just like bring them we in, doing, scald yeah. them. Yeah, just scald them, and then uh, what I did was once I had all the birds uh, done and uh, the guts and everything out, I um, I cut the breasts off and cut the legs and thighs off, and then uh, I canned uh, pressure with my pressure canner. Uh, legs and thighs, and I also canned uh, pint jars of just uh, boneless uh, breast meat, and um, that was awesome. I, I haven't canned chicken before, but it turned out fabulous. Yeah, how does canned and, meat uh, taste? Because uh, I had some friends, they were canning, um, when we butchered one of the pigs, my friend uh, Dan and Christy Bokris, they canned yeah. meat, and they're like, oh, canned meat's delicious. I'm like, interesting, but it's like, you buy canned meat from the store, so it's not I mean, yeah. it, it, but it's totally yeah, I mean, different. It's, yeah, the, like it seems like some of the stuff in the store, they put other preservatives and things in there. Maybe the the cans are lined with some sort of BPA crap or something, you know. Whereas, I mean, if you're canning it yourself, I mean, I put a little little bit of sea salt in there, or little you know a little bit of other herbs or spices in there with some uh, you know maybe a splash of water or whatever else the recipe might call for. And then away we go, you know. I mean, what was really cool was once I had all these carcasses, right, that I cut most of the meat off, then I, I have this Nesco roaster, and I put a bunch of these carcasses in the Nesco roaster with some uh, medicinal mushrooms, you know, some uh, artist conch or some reishi mushroom or amadou, whatever, these hard woody medicinal mushrooms. I put that in there, and I'm cooking them down and making stock, yeah, and I made I made a lot of chicken stock, and I I saved all the wishbones from all the chickens too. So now I have like a jar of wishes right now. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Greg yeah. uh, Greg just said to me recently because I've been, you know, taking care of myself a lot better, not drinking as much. And Greg goes, "You got to get on the, you know, the bone broth in the morning." Like I guess Greg mm. is in the first thing in the morning, taking a swig of bone broth and drinking water. Um, uh. I don't know if you've if you've heard that or you subscribe to that or you just are you mainly how do you store your your broth and can you can your broth or do you yeah so yeah, then you, it's totally yep it's all canned and then of course when I'm I go on the road as the broom maker um, I bring a couple of uh, coolers of canned goods I, I I really loathe having to buy ice you know so I I bring like dried fruit and things like that and um, you know and if I got to have a little camp stove or something and cook some rice or beans or something like that so be it but I really don't want to have you know have to deal with ice and melting and buying more ice and whatnot and so I just have all my stuff canned and you know I mean ready to go or buying food probably while you're on the road too, because that adds up as a pretty hefty expense. Yeah, especially I do all these fairs, and then, oh geez, you know the the, the funnel cakes are wafting my way. You know, like I got to resist that. <laughs> <laughs> you're like, I got coolers filled of canned food. I got delicious dried fruit. I don't need any of that. So exactly. What, so for for canning, was canning another thing that you got into? Because I know before you kind of we went over like five things that you got really into. Um, yeah, well, I got into canning in my early 20s. Um, yeah, I was married and divorced from 22 to 24, 
and uh, probably too young to be married. <laughs> but uh, but we we you know as a young couple we got into uh, into canning, and it was a fun thing. And then uh, I just kind of stuck with it, you know. And and I mean it's really simple. It's just following recipes from various books and and online. Of course, there's a, a wealth of knowledge. Um, and I've even, you know, come up with my own little recipes and twists on things, you know, so. Absolutely. So what, uh, what canning methods, cause there's a few different ways to can. Have you tried a lot of different methods? Is there, and then you just like the pressure canner the best or. No, I, I use a boiling water canner for some things, uh, that are like high acid stuff. I mean, I can apple cider or tomatoes or whatever stuff that's in, in the water, in the boiling water canner that's high acid. If it's low acid stuff like meats or things like that, then that needs to go in the pressure canner. Um, there are other people, some people will like try canning things like if they bake it in an oven in the jars or whatnot. I don't really trust that. So yeah, yeah I just, I just have the pressure canner and the boiling water canner and I've got a couple dehydrators. Um, dehydrated food lasts, you know, it lasts, I mean, I would say a year or two. Um, if, if over time though, you know, of course it starts to degrade and things. So I, I try to eat up my dehydrated stuff fairly quick. Yeah. Now for meat, um, I know like we, you know, hand hewn here in Ohio, they're really big into charcuterie and mm. kind of the, the slow preserve of meat and stuff like that. And I know, uh, when I, cause I got a full pig from Greg, I think I'm going to try to make, you know, some some Spanish salami because uh, or uh, some salami, but also like some Spanish uh, chorizo because apparently there's a, mm. there, like Spanish chorizo is the slow, uh, the slow, the slow one where you you take like the what is the word? It's not fermented meat. It kind of is fermented meat, but what's the um, salted salt cured? Yeah, salt cured. Yeah, so it's like the salt cured kind. And then mm. uh, Mexican chorizo, you, you just take the spices, then you mix it in with the meat, and then you throw it in your freezer so it will set the spices. Um, mm -hmm. So I've been like messing with that, but it's, you know, talking to, you know, Doug and Andy a few times, like, they, you know, they like to have stuff in the freezer, but then more and more, it's like, you know, they're, you know, you see like the, they're going for like the big hams or the slow mm. stuff. And I think it, I think a lot of that stuff is, is based on your palate and what you like, but, you know, just even remembering when I went to Spain, I mean, you go to breakfast. I mean, it's not like a eggs for breakfast place. You have a bunch of, you know, salted, salt cured meats for breakfast and mm. stuff like that. Have you have you done any salt curing with your chickens yet or anything like that? No, I tried it with a couple of legs of venison uh, maybe 10 years ago. I got a roadkill and I was like, hey, you know, what? I got nothing to lose here except, I guess, you know, some meat. And so I tried one soaking it in a salt brine. And then I tried another one, putting it in a wood box and putting rock salt in it and rubbing it with rosemary and everything else and totally covered it in salt. Um, the thing was, it got too salty. The meat just got yeah. way too salty. I let it go too long. And, uh, yeah, so I had to toss it because I, I didn't know what else to do with it. There are certain recipes and protocols to follow when salting, salt curing meat. And it was, I have no idea how to do that. I wish I did. That's, that's probably your next thing. I probably just got you set yeah. up and that's going to be your new obsession. Little John, you're going to start salting your deer. Uh, what is, so that's a yeah. good question too. So I've heard people that roadkill deer, like I've, I've been wanting to kind of work up my own deer and, 
and here and there and, and learn how to do that. Um, mm-hmm. So what, so what, so if you're looking to get, how do you tell, like, did you, did you watch the deer get hit or how do you tell if the deer is safe to kind of eat if it's if yeah. you find on the road? Sure. Well, that's a great question. So um, the first time I ever brought a roadkill deer home, I was, uh, was in my mid twenties and I was driving back from uh, the next town over. It's about 40 miles away. And I'm coming down the highway, and it's like, you know, June or July. And the, there's a cop pulling a deer right off the, onto the side of the road. There's a Jeep Wrangler parked with the windshield all spiderwebbed. And then there's, there's a young couple in flip-flops and uh, shorts, and you know, and they're they're, they they had their day kind of ruined, I think. And uh, so I'm like, well, this is my cue, you know. So I just turned around and pulled up behind them. And Wisconsin law, you know, if you're there on the site and, you know, right on time and you ask, you know, can I have that deer? The cop will first check with the people who hit it because they have first dibs. And, of course, those young people were, were not interested in dealing with a deer, you know. And so, um, yeah, go ahead, have you know, make good use of it. And so then um, the cop wrote me out a permit, and I took it and threw it in the back of the truck, came home. I had no idea how to even, you know, do anything Dress with the deer. deer. Yeah. Yeah. So my neighbor, once again, the morel mushroom guy, he was a deer hunter, and I called him up and you know, knocked on his door and said, hey, dude, can you help me with this? Sure. You know, and I, I gave him some meat to take home. And uh, it was win-win situation, you know. And so, uh, yeah, that was that was uh, 01 maybe, something like that. Um, but um, since then, of course, I've you know I've gone deer hunting. I've shot a few of my own deer, um, and just uh, many times. Oh, there's a lot of times I've met uh, good old boy hunters that uh, it like they might have a whole hunting party where they have, to ha- they have to shoot a doe to get a buck, you know, type of a thing with the DNR regulations. And so they always knew me. Uh, little John was, would always be happy to take an extra deer. And there was, for a lot of years, there were these, these guys that would, uh, you know, hey, little John, we got a few of them hanging here. Come on by and take your pick, you know. And I'd, sometimes I'd come home with two whole deer, and then I'd be gutting them and doing my thing. Or... One thing that was kind of neat was there was um, the, some of the rural townships around here. Uh, they're they're basically right on the outskirts of of my town of fifty thousand people. They're little little kind of uh, I don't know. It's residential, but it's still fairly kind of country. Uh, anyway, the the um, one township had sharpshooters come in, and um, if you called in and got your name on the list you could get up to five deer for free. You just have to be ready when they call you some morning, you know, and say, you know, hey, all right, John, we got we got two of them here for you. Come on and get them. Okay, go over, get them, and start cutting, you know. And uh, they did that for three years in a row. Because the, the population was so high? It was so big, yeah, yeah. And it's, you know, it's a wealthy little area. And, of course, you know, chewing on their tulips and their trees and whatever, you know, they didn't really appreciate that, so they were happy to have the sharpshooters come in. Well, then there was another township in the other direction that had heard about it. You could get up to three deer uh, in a season, which I did that for two years. 
And so, like, my freezer was stocked full of meat for a while. I wasn't canning any meat at that time. but uh, And I made a lot of jerky, um, things like that. Um, and so the the whole my whole uh, thing with deer i guess is just kind of evolved i mean i always uh you know try to take the heart and uh you know the the liver if i can um organ meats are really good especially heart heart is is fabulous yeah that's I mean, something else greg said he started no that's what he does he 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 eats a little bit of organ meat and drinks some some stock in the morning and then some water yeah, yeah he's, nice. i i like organ meat too it's uh you know, and it's it's funny, man. A lot of people don't like this, but I uh we uh my buddy, he's like he works at like a a meat place. They'll you'll you know, you can bring in your deal deer and they'll they'll charge you to process it for you and it's right. uh it's a little spot called uh House of Meats. It's like a local little Toledo spot. Okay. And Greg because he knew I was like kind of getting into the weird food stuff. He's he's like, "I got a gift for you." And I'm like, "What's that?" And he has like these these bull testicles, and I'm like, you know, man, I I never really had a desire to eat them, but then he's like, no, trust me. So then he like cuts them out, and then we we dip them in like some breading, and we deep fry them, and put some hot sauce on them, and it was like, this tastes a lot like liver. Like it tastes like <laughs> pretty much the same as liver. Um, uh. But yeah, I've had a lot of pig heart and liver heart, and uh, or pig heart and pig liver. Then we ate uh, we ate cow heart and cow liver. Um, mm-hmm. at Greg's when we butchered Mr. Brisket. Um, it's it's a different, uh, it's definitely an acquired, it's not something, because it doesn't taste like normal meat, so I think people yeah. get turned off to it at first, but in, right. in reality, it's just something that you, you're just like, you have to be kind of be an adult, and you're like, this is really good for me. Like, there's a lot of yeah. nutrients in this, but then like, once you get used to eating it, it's it's actually pretty good. It's just like yeah. when you quit sugar, like sugary drinks or anything like that, then you try to eat like drink as substitute. You're like, oh, I'm not used to the sugar. It's to right. me, it's it's just a similar way of looking at it. But I I'm a big fan of organ meat myself. Do you do you can the organ meat? I haven't yet, but uh, I may. I mean, typically I like to I like to eat heart just fried up like a steak. You yeah. know, I'll I'll slice it into fairly big slabs or you know big pieces. Heart to me will taste just like regular meat. Yeah. Now liver, of course, has its own flavor. And what I found, I found last uh, this was uh, a year ago, February a year ago. Um, I butchered a cow, and um, there was a, a farmer that had a cow that was down and um, brought home a bunch of meat. And I made a lot of jerky with, um, you know, the the back loin and and other other pieces, and then I had this huge liver. And you know, what do I do with with this liver? And I remembered someone gave me a recipe years ago, and I stuffed it in a box of all kinds of other little odds and end recipes and things. And it was for liver jerky. And I was like, eh, you know, I mean, why not give it a shot, you know? So I cut the liver up into slices and, um, you know, gave it a good rinse or whatever. And and then um, I, I marinated it in uh, soy sauce. I think I added a little bit of, uh, little bit of um, maybe some kelp or some other seasonings. And then I put it in the in the dehydrators, and it turned out fabulous. It had a little bit of liver flavor, but not much. And it definitely had a different texture than the other jerky. 
But uh, yeah, if I go from now on, no more liver and onions for me. I'm making liver jerky here on out. Man, I think people are probably going to hit you up about that recipe. I'm sure. I know Greg Burns is. <laughs> Greg Burns is probably going to hear this and hit you up on Facebook right away. If <laughs> you like, give me that. Yeah, jerky well, I mean, recipe. and I, I just made my own recipe up. I mean, you know, there's probably people out there online with a Google search that you'll probably find other recipes where people are putting in fancier ingredients and whatever. You know. No, absolutely, man. That's that's pretty awesome. I never even thought to do that. I. I made some uh, some pork jerky, and I didn't. Did you like grind it up and put it in the jerky gun? Gun, or you just no. did thin slices? Cut it in slices. Yeah, that's yeah. interesting. That's definitely good to know. And when you uh, were butchering that cow, we actually got like this butcher book. Did you? Uh, and we were we were looking at that when we were working over Mister Brisket. Um, mm-hmm. Apparently, I've never butchered a deer, but Greg and. Uh, Jeff and and um, Jeremy all said it's a lot. It's pretty similar. It's like a giant deer. It's like a way bigger deer. Right. Exactly. Yeah. It's crazy. Hanging the cow up. A farmer had a had forks on the front end of his tractor, and we hoisted that thing up with a chain. And then, um, yeah. I mean, I'm standing on a tailgate of a truck, you know, peeling the skin off of it and quartering it out and cutting pieces off of it. And yeah, it was it was quite an ordeal. My yeah. favorite part about quartering out a cow when you when we followed the distru- instructions was we actually cut it up into sixth. Like it was uh-huh. like it said quartering out the cow, but then we had six pieces. Uh it was Yeah, like, those hind quarters are heavy, man. Holy cow. Yeah, and we had a and I don't know how old that cow was, but ours was like he was only like ten months. So he was I mean, probably his hanging weight was only like three twenty two. But it uh-huh. was but that was it kind of stunk because he was young, so we couldn't get brisket. We wanted to do tomahawk steaks, but there really wasn't a lot of fat on him. And yeah. uh, so I didn't. How old was the cow that you? Uh, and was it just you and the farmer that did it? Did he? Did he? No, there was. It was me and uh, like the farmer's son, and yeah, it was just the two of us. And um, yeah, I don't remember how old the cow was. I mean, it. Um, it was young, but it was it was pretty good size. I mean, it might have been two years old. Okay. So. And then, so how did so do you get a lot of these opportunities with deer? Like, when did when, how did you get wind of oh, there's going to be free meat? Does it does it just kind of find you? Like, do you think you've just kind of put yourself? Some, yeah, sometimes. I mean, it it depends. I um. Like, I don't know, it was a couple of years ago, I'm sitting around the house doing something, I get a call from a buddy of mine, hey man, on highway, you know, whatever, um, not far from here, there's a car pulled over, I just drove, you know, picking up the kids or whatever, and I drove past, and there's a car on the side of the road with a dead deer in front of it, and the cops are behind them, and uh, I think you should go check that out. Sure. I went over there, and the car had already left, but the cop was still there filling out paperwork. And the deer was still there, so of course knocked on the window, you know, bada boom, bada bing, little John's got a deer. Uh, <laughs> the uh, the cow and um, and and a few other things that I've uh, you know hooked up with with meat was um, I put an ad on Craigslist, custom butchering available at your farm, um, and then I you know put in the ad a picture of me, uh, you know, butchering a deer and just say that. Um, you know, uh, I'm not a professional butcher, but I am a well-versed individual who has butchered many deer, chickens, rabbits, blah, 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 you know, and uh, willing to work for 
a portion of meat or cash or whatever, you know. And uh, I get a few bites. I, I've done that for the last two winters, and I've gotten a few bites each time. You know, is it mainly deer that you help, or was it was that the first cow, or what? What are the? That was the first cow. Yeah, mostly deer. I do. Um, I've done rabbits. Uh, I did some ducks for somebody. The farmer actually had a little butchering room, and ducks can really be a pain because they have all those little pin feathers and stuff. But uh, we used a chicken plucker and then did a final once over with it. There was like three of us doing it, farmer and his wife and myself. And uh, we did 25 ducks in, you know, like in an afternoon or, you know, whatever it was, like six hours or something, four hours. But, um, yeah, it was pretty time consuming. But, you know, I mean, I, I went home with with uh he he said he says I, I i can't really let any of the ducks go because i've already uh committed on selling them to my other uh you know farm you know whatever patrons and stuff so he's like uh let's go in my chest freezer so i got two geese two whole chickens and a dozen eggs for helping them <laughs> that's not a bad yeah. deal uh, yeah i'm i'm all about i'm all about the barter system you know yeah, because that's how you got your cool hat, right? You traded a guy. I think you said you traded a broom for it. A broom for it. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. That's... I mean, just just yesterday, I traded a guy. Uh, he's wanted to get out of bee uh, the bees and stuff. He I met him at a uh, I taught a beekeeping class, and um, I uh, he called me up and he was like, I got all this bee equipment. I'm sick of it. You know, my bees keep dying over the winter time. You want it? Let's trade. So I got like four hives and then i traded them uh you know a few uh fruit trees i've got all kinds of fruit trees that i've grafted and in pots all around my yard and little nurse beds and stuff and so he was happy i was happy and yeah that's awesome um yeah so i didn't i forgot that you kept bees we never talked about like i've had uh michael jordan on um about Mm -hmm. beekeeping and me and greg we're actually doing a, a failing forward podcast this year about you know kind of our He's. I think he's has. He has like a year or two in beekeeping, but we have different goals, and we just built. Uh, man, I think we just built like thirty-seven, thirty-eight hives. We just built them, like just came together and just built a bunch of them, and it was like, I think it only cost us like sixty bucks a hive each. So we saved. Mm. A ton, we saved a ton of money just building them together, and uh, I got to still buy like my uh, frames and foundation. But how long have you been keeping bees for? Uh, about ten years. That's yeah. a long time. What what got you into beekeeping? Well, it was um, so '08 was the whole colony collapse thing. So it was like right before that, you know, there was um, beekeeping was starting to build, starting to build, and then all of a sudden in '08, when uh, um, was it called the Vanishing of the Bees or something? That documentary came out. Then it really got popular, and so I was just a little bit ahead of that wave. And, um, I, you know, I, I've kept bees in a variety of different hives, uh, Waré hives, uh, it's a French type of design, um, Langstroth is pretty much what I all go to now. I've done top bar hives. I've even kept bees in a, in a, uh, a, a gum, a bee gum, a, a hollow log. Um, so, I mean, there's a reason why the Langstroth hive has been so popular and such a, a, a staple in american beekeeping since the 1850s you know i mean it's uh 
I mean, it's it's a really good design, and that's why I, I've stuck with it. Yeah, that's what we built. We built a bunch of those. Um, yeah. We built both mids and deeps, and mm. I didn't even know what that meant, but Greg explained it to us. And him and his him and his dad had these plans, so we just built a bunch of those. We had a little assembly line going. Um, what uh, man? I was going to ask you something. Oh yeah. So what kind of? So have you uh, like networked? Because I think that guy Michael Michael Bush, I think his name is. He's in Wisconsin, yeah. isn't he? Have you have you gone? No, and, like, Michael Bush is like in Kansas or Oklahoma or something like that. I thought, but yeah, he's pretty cool. I'd I'd love to see some more of the stuff he's doing. Yeah, I thought so. Cause so, are you doing pretty much as as close as you can to treatment free beekeeping? Then, like you know, I've done all kinds of stuff. I haven't gone full on chemical warfare, but I've tried to use natural treatments like Mitaway quick strips, like formic acid strips, and stuff like that. And I haven't noticed any difference in my bees. I mean, there have been winters when I've lost all my bees, and then there's been winters when I've you know, barely lost any bees, you know, so I guess it all depends. I'm, I'm really happy this last year, I went into winter with seven hives, and I came out with three. So at least I've got something. <laughs> and then uh, I was gonna ask you something else. Uh, oh, yeah. So do you mainly just go and catch swarms? Like, it seems like well, that seems like something the last you do. two years. Yeah, last two years now. I mean, I, I decided you know, with the price of package bees that they just keep going up and up. I'm I'm not buying packages anymore. I'm just going to catch swarms and do bee removals. I do a lot of cutouts, and um, and so that's what I did, and that's how I got you know up to you know seven hives um, last year. So um, it's keeping bees, of course, in Wisconsin. We get some pretty cold winters, you know, and um, you know, and bees are under pressure from mites and chemicals and you know viruses and bacteria and all that so i mean it's it can be challenging keeping them alive through the winter yeah i i haven't i haven't tried yet i my thing is like it's it's something that i because we could build the hives for cheap it was like man i don't because you can i mean beekeeping isn't really inexpensive and i think unless you know you can get a good trade or something like that like to get a new Langstroth hive, it's like two. I think it's like two hundred twenty, two hundred thirty bucks normally, isn't it? Like, yeah, I don't. It's well, not. I don't. Probably. I always buy. I've been buying used, and um, yeah, and I. I know sometimes I sell hives too. You know, so. Yeah. Have you now? Do you ever like? Do you ever harvest the honey? Um, have you harvested honey and like made anything sure. cool with that? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've harvested my own honey on on several occasions. Uh, I've got a little hand crank, uh, you know, extractor. But um, most of the time, I'm just like, I really just want bees to have, you know, my bees to have enough food to go through the winter and be happy. You know, I mean, I'm not all focused on honey. You know, I mean, bees are part of our environment. You know, and so I just I love to be able to look out my kitchen window into my backyard and go. All right, the girls are flying today, or you know, whatever. Or maybe I need to put another box on top, or, you know, and and so be it. So I mean, this you asked me about treatments before, and uh, this last winter I didn't give them any treatments. I did put uh, pollen patties on top, and um, they seem to enjoy those. So no, that yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I think uh, I think too because you have so many like little nursery 
plants and everything around your property. I mean, it's it's good to have the bees there just for pollination too. Yeah, well, and they say that city bees will outproduce country bees two to one when it comes to honey, because in the city there's there's so much diversity of flowering trees and everyone's you know uh, tulips and other you know daffodils and whatever other flowers that are all in people's yards and landscapes and stuff like that. I mean, you get out in the country and you have acres and acres of corn or soy or whatever, and it's like a desert, you know. Absolutely, yeah. There's there's um, where my buddy Joel is. There's a lot of that golden. I forget what it's called. It's called golden. goldenrod. Yeah, there's a lot of goldenrod. Like we have a lot of goldenrod. Um, you uh-huh. guys, you guys probably get goldenrod as well. I mean, sure. we're not, yeah. you're slightly colder, but we're pretty similar when it comes to like native native plants and everything like that. Um, mm-hmm. I think, uh, yeah, I'm I'm excited this year for bees. I think you know it's 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 so interesting, man, because there's just so much stuff when you when you kind of go down the the rabbit hole of wanting to interact with plants and and foraging and and cultivate that relationship with your food. It's um. There's there's just so many deep rabbit holes you could go down. I think like exactly. it's like bees. I think it's 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 cool to have bees, but I think you know I I wouldn't have bees to farm honey. I think like I don't like you you shouldn't even expect to get any honey like your first year. I think it's you know right. you, you just kind of have bees just to just I think I think it's a it's a good skill to have and I. I mean, yeah. I, I honestly need to focus probably more on canning and stuff like that. I think, uh, I think that's that's I think that's a that's a bigger skill for a lot of people, especially for home gardeners and everything else like that. Um, to to kind of go back to canning for a beginning canner, do you have any advice or what 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 direction would you point people in? Just pretty much look at the internet. I mean, yeah, get a couple books. You know, the ball. Blue canning book is uh, is pretty, you know, a, a kind of like the the backbone of most people's libraries when it comes to canning stuff. You can find a a used, you know, canning pot at the thrift store a lot of times. You know, for a boiling water canner, uh, pressure canner can be a little intimidating for people, so that might be kind of like a canning one or two. Um, you know, start out with the boiling water canner and 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 look at you know, doing high acid foods that, that will, you know, you can do in that boiling water canner. I mean, it's applesauce, super simple, you know, I mean, make it in the crock pot and can it up, you know, pear sauce is even better, you know? So, I mean, and it's, it's all really, you know, easy. It might seem intimidating at first, but once you get into it and you start doing it, it's like, Oh man, this is no problem. So, so right now, um, to kind of like change it up again, foraging now we got dandelions coming mm-hmm. outside of coffee. What's your favorite thing to make with with dandelions? Um. Well, yeah. I mean, if I do anything with dandelions, of course, yeah, I do dig the roots and roast them for coffee. But I, um, of course, flowers are are good. Uh, you know, dandelion wine. The leaves are great, uh, fried in bacon grease or added to wild salads. Um, some people will the little flower buds as they're uh, you know unopened. Some people will pickle those and make like a mock caper or something. <coughs> There's so many things to do with dandelion. <coughs> yeah, and then we got we got a lot of mushrooms coming out right now too, like pheasant back and everything. And it morels, morels are yeah. coming. Um, yeah. If people were, let's say people are listening to this 
and they want to they want to start foraging their area. Um, I think the best bet is just to go take walks in the woods, right? Like just go right. look in the woods, right? And don't be afraid to take you know like join other plant walks. Go to your local nature center if they're doing plant walks, or um, there are you know wild edible weekends that you might be able to go to wild food weekends. Um, you know, there's different herbal conferences to go to that they do plant uh, walks and things, and sometimes they talk about you know edibles as well as medicinals. <coughs> Got a little tickle in my throat here, but <coughs> can you get some water or anything? Uh, maybe I should. Yeah, I can. Yeah, do that let me go get talking. some water as well. Your house. So uh, I just I just <laughs> actually unpaused it. So I was just telling little John we took a little break, and I was telling him how I get ants this time of every year. So. So one thing I learned when I was in high school, I think, was you could take dish soap and water, and you can spray dish soap and water, and it's like a non. Well, you, yeah, if you spray it on the ants, yeah, it'll suffocate them. But um, you know, a deterrent that I've found is, um, you know, like if they're coming in around a doorway, or if they're coming in like up and through a window. Um, I'll sprinkle wood ashes in the in the windowsill or in the the bottom part of the window, you know. And that's and, just like just like from a fire, you just take ash. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hardwood hardwood ashes. Interesting. And, yeah, that's pretty so, cool. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, so, anyways, we were talking about foraging and like where where people should start foraging. You're saying nature walks and everything like that. Um, I know, like, if you're looking for morales, apparently morales grow uh, pretty much with ash trees. You can find morales in most places, and I think so. I lo- was looking up other trees as well that morales typically like to grow on. Um, I I read something like you want to you look for morales like you like. I think it was in Michael Pollan's book. He was like he, the guy with him was putting his head towards the ground and looking at him uh, to look for him. Um, I I think you just kind of have to get your eye uh, trained. Like I, when I found those those pheasant backs, like I was I was looking for something. Like I I was just kind of look. Like me and Joel would go on walks, and he was like, "Yeah, you got to start looking for stuff, even mushrooms that aren't aren't edible, <clears throat> just so you 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 spot mushrooms." Um. Mm. So and and so. I think that's that's kind of the the best bet is is would you agree just you know you just got to start looking for something um yeah. growing out of a tree or well morels don't grow out of trees they grow around the bases of trees on out of the soil but I mean my method is you know to to put on some miles right I mean I've been out in the woods with people I used to take people on guided morel mushroom hunts um, until they started coming back to my spots. And then I said, okay, no more. You know, yeah. I asked, to, I mean, I, I'd be real clear up front saying, okay, people, I'm taking you to my hot spots because this is the environment and I'm showing you the environment. Now, after this day, please go and find your own spots. Well, that didn't work. You know, people, oh, sure. Yeah. And then they get, you know, they get there. Oh, this is public state land anyway, so I can come back. Well, yeah, you wouldn't have found it if it wasn't for me. Yeah. But anyway, um, so yeah, I stopped doing that. But I've gone out in the woods with people and I've seen how different people are. Some people will walk in 
and walk so slow and try to scan every single little inch of the forest floor. And a lot of times those are kind of beginners, you know. And then there are people uh, that might move too fast, you know. Like they, they've, they're hiking and they're talking to their friend and they're forgetting, you know, that, oh, we're looking for mushrooms. You know, and me, I'm more in the middle or maybe toward the other end of the spectrum where, you know, I mean, I'll move at a, at a you know, an even clip. I mean, I'm not, you know, I mean... I'm not uh, getting winded or anything, but I'm I'm moving and I'm scanning the ground, and and I'm continuing to move, you know. And if I find one, I stay there and I kind of scan around. And I look around. Uh, also, seems to be kind of a thing like if I if I all of a sudden I say, well, I need to go pee. Then if I go pee and I'm looking around, it's like, well, there's one there, you know. And it seems like every time I go pee, I find mushrooms too. <laughs> So, but usually where there's one morale, a lot of times there's others, you know, and so it, it's, it's, uh, you know, definitely good to, you know, scan the area, but not the entire time you're in the woods, you know, I mean, it'll take you all day to walk a hundred yards, you know, and me, I mean, I'll walk for miles, you know, and I'll have a big basket with me, you know? Yeah. Now, do, are, do you guys have the same kind of park rules or is it, uh, do you like i know like there's certain parks you're not supposed to I, it's weird a lot of parks are, are funky like city parks in columbus they're really funky about harvesting but it's like certain parks are are more upset about harvesting than others like others yeah. if there's no rangers they don't really care but if there are rangers then you have to be careful well wisconsin's laws uh from my understanding are on state land you can uh, harvest uh, nuts, seeds, berries, mushrooms, leaves, uh, some flowers, not all flowers. Like there's some protected flowers like lady slipper orchid or trilliums, things like that. And then, uh, but you cannot dig roots, right? So that means no harvesting ramps and stuff. You can harvest ramp leaves, but not uh, not digging the bulbs on on. On public land, right on state land, which yeah. would be owned by the DNR. Now, there's also um, <clears throat> federal land, which I think on federal land, I believe it's you know nothing. You can't harvest anything. Uh, I could be wrong. Um, and then uh, there's you know city city uh, rules can be vary from one municipality to the next. So, I mean, you've got all different types of things to tread, you know, to, to be concerned about, right? You got, you know, whatever, city, state, and federal, <laughs> so. No, that makes sense. So before people go and uh, go forage, they should probably look at their local laws and see what, what they can and can't do. Yeah, yeah. It probably would be good to maybe make a call to the DNR or something and find out, you know, what your local regulations are. I know Illinois just to the south of us here in Wisconsin, I mean, Illinois is like almost Gestapo-like with foraging a lot of times. On, on public land, you can't even pick a dandelion. That's so, so crazy. crazy. Illinois has some yeah. goofy laws, though. So when, right. when you're going to cities, do you mainly, do you kind of look it up before you head? Like, I wonder what kind of foraging rules they have and stuff like that. Or do you just, um, or, I know before you said you'll just kind of ride a bike around and mm -hmm. see who has fruit trees and just go talk to the owners and see if you can pick their their fruits exactly yeah i do that a lot or you know i mean if it's private property 
I mean, you know, all you got to do is get permission, you know, and I mean, or typically too, like if it's private property and it's a weed growing in the ditch, I mean, or, you know, or something like that or the end of a dead end road. And I mean, so a lot of times I plead ignorance and beg forgiveness, you know, <laughs> Yeah. Uh, I just kind of go for it. You know, I mean, as long as I'm not digging stuff up. You know, like the sagebrush that I harvested in Oklahoma. I just was driving along and went down some country roads. And uh, I'm like, oh, this looks like a good spot right here. Kind of pulled off the edge of this, you know, this uh, this farm field or whatever. And I, I yeah, started clipping. And actually a farmer came driving through on a four-wheeler and said, hey, are you okay? You broke down or something? Is that why you're pulled over? I'm like, no, thanks for checking on me. I'm just collecting some of this sagebrush. Oh, okay, that's cool. Yeah, have all you want, man. That stuff's a weed. It's everywhere. I'm like, sounds good. Sounds good. You're like, only if he knew what this weed would do, like what this yeah. weed could do for you. That's awesome, man. It's In sagebrush, is that, it, like, what do you do with sagebrush? Uh, wrap it up in, in sage bundles and, and make smudge sticks, you know, like for uh, uh, some Native American smudging type thing, if you're familiar with that. No, what is smudging? Uh, well, you basically take, uh, well, some people will take desert sage, the Artemisia tridentata, or they'll take um, uh, white sage, uh, like it's uh, it's a salvia. Yeah, isn't that, salvia uh, sage, I thought, like that, uh, I remember I smoked well, that when I was a kid. Salvia, yeah, salvia divornum is a different, is a different, there's all different types of salvias, just like there's all different types of Artemisias, but uh, they would be... In Native American ceremony, they would be burned, and then the smoke would be wafted over you as a cleansing, or would be the smoke would be wafted into the room. Maybe you'd walk around in the different corners of the room and waft it, and that that fragrant smoke is used as a cleansing. Um, it is, uh, I guess, you know, used to some some people in spiritual circles will say it's used to clear uh, negative energy. Um, and actually, there was an article not long ago I saw that uh, actually says that there's a benefit to smudging yourself with um, with the smoke because it has like uh, anti you know antibacterial properties or something of that nature. That's so, pretty awesome, man. Awesome, man. Um, yeah. Well, I'm just trying to think, man. We're about at an hour here, and uh, I know you got more work to do. Uh, is there anything yeah. else you want to talk about, or anything that we might not have covered? I think we talked. No, we covered I mean, a lot of stuff, man. I always like having sure you on. We sure did. Yeah, we kind of bopped around a lot of different subjects. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I'm, my greenhouse project is really uh, underway right now. That's right. Um, Last year, you and uh, your buddy were doing it, and I accidentally put a picture of your buddy on the thing. So it's like, oh yeah, yeah, it doesn't look yeah, like we were, old John, but no, yeah, we were yeah doing a lot of digging last year, digging out the floor of my greenhouse, and then um, it it got. You know, I dug it down pretty far, and now I'm. I put the drain tile in. Uh, actually, it's the earth tubes, whatever you want to call it. But uh, yeah, and then it's gonna. Be, it's basically gonna be like a radiant floor heat underground while I grow my fig trees right into the soil above them. So that's awesome, man. And that what was that yeah. guy's name? I think it was Doug. I'm trying to remember. I just I like to see if I can remember names, but I could be wrong. Your buddy that your buddy that was helping you that I accidentally put a picture of. Oh, I mean, I don't. I had a lot of different buddies yeah. that have helped me. Might have been my friend Craig. Oh yeah, um, it was Craig. Yeah, that's what yeah. it was. It was Craig. 
Um, yeah. Not that that's important for the listeners, but I wanted to know yeah. if I remembered his name. Well, anyways, um, always good to talk to you, my man. Thanks for coming on again. I'm glad I, I, I for sure. I think last time we talked for like an extra hour and a half afterward. Um, so we, <laughs> it was like the the unrecorded podcast, but man, but I, I lo- always love picking your brain about forging, and I always appreciate yeah. you uh, not minding me hit you up, and I'm like, what is this, man? Do you have an idea what this is, or something like that? So I always I always <laughs> right. appreciate it. All right, hey, one thing before I go, one thing that I um, am really happy I found recently, ammoseek.com. It's a search engine. And it'll help you find the cheapest ammo online. I've been buying ammo. Uh, man, some of it is so cheap, it's unreal. I mean, buying uh, slugs for, you know, uh, 12 gauge slugs for 58 cents a piece. Uh, you know, I mean, all kinds of exotic ammo and stuff, tracer rounds and fun things too. So, ammoseek.com has saved me a lot of money instead of going to the local you know, uh, gun shop and paying two, you know, twice as much yeah. for ammo. Absolutely. So, so it's just A-M-M-O-S-E-E-K? I believe that's it. Yeah. Or you can just Google it, Ammo Seek. Yeah, and it but, Google uh, will Google tell you. Yeah. That's awesome. It's, yeah. It's, save a lot of money. So good luck on that. And yeah, definitely keep in touch, man. Maybe down the road we can do another another podcast. Oh, yeah, for sure. I'm definitely... I'm sure the more I get into a subject that I know you're into, I'll be I'll have better questions to ask you, and I want to revisit it. So I appreciate uh, your wealth of knowledge, my friend, and I think all the listeners appreciate it as well. So guys, thanks again for listening, and looking forward to bringing you another episode soon.